You're about to get stuck into another edition of the GP Fans Stewards Room podcast, breaking down all of the action from a racing weekend in the world of Formula One. And if you like what you hear and what you see, you can rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on all good podcasting outlets, including Spotify, Anchor.fm, our host and iTunes as well. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can hit the subscribe button down below to stay up to date with all of our content there. And if you like the musings of you and Gail, Sam Hall or Ian Parks, Follow Twitter or Instagram at GPFansGlobal to stay up to date with all of the breaking news in the world of Formula One, or even just get on the website, gpfans.com. But now, let's get into the show. Please comment on Ewan's shirt. Thank you. <laughs> 101 <laughs> reasons to comment. <laughs> Welcome back to another edition of the GP Fans Stewards Room podcast, breaking down all of the action from a racing weekend in the big wide world of Formula One. It was the jewel in the crown of Formula One last weekend, the Monaco Grand Prix. So delighted to say the Brain Trust is back to talk about all of the action that took place on a slippery track in the Principality. Joining myself, Ollie Wilson, Ian Parks, Ewan Gale and Sam Hall. And the last time I did that, I completely butchered half of your names. So I'm glad we've started better than we were a few weeks ago. Gentlemen, how are we all doing? Ian, how was the Principality overall? The Principality was wonderful. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that no, was a good weekend. Good trip. Um, obviously, thankfully, the rain did fall in the end, Ollie, as uh, after you and I discussed that on the on the Sunday morning. Didn't look like it was going to happen, but it did. And it provided us with uh, plenty of good talking points on this podcast today. Ewan, um, a patchy affair in Monaco for some, uh, spotted with incidents, some would say. Yeah, very nice, Ollie. Very nice. Nice to do with that. Uh, yeah, it was spotted with incident. Um, and, you know, I, I'm one of the bigger advocates for Monaco um, amongst the, the lot of us. So really, really excited to see that something good came of it in the end. And Sam, I mean, this is what we wanted to see. We were waiting and waiting for Monaco to provide us with entertainment. Do you think, just quickly off the top, and I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts uh, joining in on this, that Monaco has, with this race at least, just made people think twice about removing it from the calendar? Um yeah, p- potentially it has. Um, but as we know, whenever there's rain at Monaco, it's always a fairly interesting race. There's always stuff that can happen. Um, Monaco out of contract now. The F1 needs more money from them, but Monaco don't really want to pay that from what we gather. But for me, Monaco, as much as I don't like the race in the dry... Monaco, it just is F1, isn't it? It's similar to what I said about Ferrari like the other week. So sort of Ferrari is F1. Monaco is F1. Without F1 without Monaco, just wouldn't seem right. So yeah, maybe a few um, a few second thoughts have gone through minds about potentially getting rid of it. And we were going to make some dog jokes about Ewan's um, Ewan's top, but his dog seems to be joining in with the podcast. So uh, <laughs> that that's kind of saved us a bit of a job there. Yeah, I was going to say. I was going to say, for anybody watching in black and white, do not adjust your sets. Yes, that really is Ewan's top today. (laughs) 
Right, we've got the top out of the way. I think we've all had a nice dig in. Uh, let's move on to perhaps... Uh, firstly, we should start the podcast with an apology to Lewis Hamilton. As apparently uh, the F1 media has misquoted him and he hasn't criticised the FIA. But plenty were criticising the FIA in parks um, after the handling of the rain delay going into the race on Sunday. There was a, a fairly lengthy WhatsApp conversation that was taking place, I think, where all of us expressed our views on it. The race that could have got started but would have been stopped anyway didn't get started, so we waited until the race could be started and it was still a bit too wet to go properly racing for the first few laps and then we had a race. Is that kind of a fair assessment and rundown of what took place? So I tell you what, for every Grand Prix from now on where the FIA on its radar can see a heavy bank of rain coming, they're just going to call the cars in and say, no, no, we can see rain, rain's coming, really heavy rain. We're not. We're going to stop now, and then once that rain's gone, we'll restart the race. What a load of old tosh that was on Sunday! I've got to say, what on earth were they doing? You had to start that race. It doesn't matter when the rain is coming. Be it five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes into the session, you start the race because the conditions were fine. As I said, let's just stop every single race now. When the FIA on its radar can see rain coming from a distance, heavy rain coming. Now. Terrible decision, and I agree with pretty much every every comment that came out from the team principals and the drivers on uh, on Sunday evening. You know, as uh, Pierre Gasly put it, you know, don't don't misjudge us. We 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 are skilled at this. This is what we do for a living. We know what we're meant to be doing. It doesn't matter how heavy the rain is. We've been on winning worse conditions. Let us drive, and then you make the call when that rain actually hits. Absolutely spot on, Pierre, and I think he spoke for many people. He's speaking for me as well, because that race should have started. So whatever was going on in race control, and Martin Brundler suggested in his column that there was quite a heated argument taking place, you can only assume it was, do we start this race or do we not start this race, um, given, the, given what Martin has mentioned. Um, Eduardo Freitas in charge for the first time. Was he having an argument with Neil Swittick? Was he having an argument with Herbie Blash? We won't know, I'm guessing. But quite clearly, the wrong call was absolutely made on Sunday in my book. I totally get that everyone has to put safety first. And for all of... So we've seen races in the past. 1984, Ayrton Senna in the Tolman almost winning, some people would say, robbed of winning against Alain Prost when he was at the McLaren. We've seen 1996, Olivier Panis won wet conditions at the start of the race. We've seen so many wet Monaco races and so many wet races overall. But now, and it's not just this weekend, it does appear as though you get a decent amount of rain. It's not if it's just spitting, but a decent amount of rain. The extreme wet tyres, which by their nature are designed to deal with extreme wet conditions are either not good enough or they judge the F1 drivers, as Pierre Gasly pointed out, as not being good enough to deal with these conditions. Drivers deal with these in karting. Drivers deal with these these conditions all the way up the pyramid and they don't stop the races. They don't don't say, no, we're not going to do this. They just say, yeah, you're, you're drivers. This is what you're paid to do. This is what you want to do. Go do it. Um, so the delay was... Yes, the initial delay. I'll, I'll grant them the initial delay because the rain came so late that, yeah, give them a five-minute delay to get those tyres onto the grid and then clear everything off because it's such a compact grid there. But then get the racing going. Don't 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 insult these drivers, really, I guess, is what we're all saying here. Don't insult them by saying, 
no, you're not good enough for this, or your cars aren't good enough for this, it's too dangerous. If the driver doesn't want to take the risk, the driver doesn't have to race. He can pull into the pits and go, no, this is a, a risk too far. Seen Nicky Lauda did that in the past as well. So the risk is, in a way, it's similar to the jewellery conversation, I guess, as well. It's If the driver wants to take the risk, let the driver take the risk. If they don't want to take the risk, they won't be an F1 driver for that much longer. And the other thing is, as well, is it actually added danger in a way because you had so many team mechanics, team members running back and forth with different tyres on tyre racks on the narrowest grid on the calendar and the narrowest pit lane in the calendar. There's only got one entry and exit point. It's not like the other ones where they have an opening halfway down the pit wall. Mm. Um, so you had uh, team mechanics going back and forth and back and forth. I think Jos Capito was helping them out at one point, um, getting the tyres back onto the grid up a ramp. It was, It was... It made it more chaotic, even though it was supposed to make it less chaotic. And the disappointing thing was is that you, know, you think Russia last year where you went dry to wet at the end of the race. Yeah, it's so exciting. The same with at the Nürburgring in 2007. It started in the dry. At the end of the first lap, everyone came into the pit. You had a spiker winning. Uh, it's a, that's when teams can become heroes, you know, and, and they took that away. Um, at the start of the season when Michael Mazzi uh, was... was removed I guess is the correct word uh, we sort of said or I sort of said that be careful what you wish for and I just feel like there's been something in every race so far and I get that there's a bedding in process I get not everything's going to be perfect but I, there's been something in every race so far that you just sort of think really and and then I think that's what the drivers are unhappy about and the teams and us are unhappy about when it comes to things like this jewellery and underwear thing is that yes it's a rule and yes it should be enforced but there's so many more important things to focus on and get right first before you pick up something as sort of benign as that is I mean I'm gonna stand here and back the FIA on the jewellery and the underwear thing just because there have been a number of drivers discussed and you can read the, the comments that have been made on gpfans.com over the last few weeks about that, of talking about, you know, particularly the underwear factor. You know, everyone's focusing on the jewellery because it's Lewis Hamilton, but the underwear factor of if you are end up in a potentially tragic situation where your car bursts into flames and the underwear that you're wearing can easily melt to your body and previous drivers have said that that is one of the most painful things that's ever taken place and ever happened to them is having that take place in a car. Um, and having the underwear that isn't the fireproof FIA overalls uh, kind of melting to your skin. So I'm all for them proposing and pushing that sort of safety regulation. But I'm also all for just a bit of continuity and allowing, considering what we've seen from F1 to try and create excitement around the sport. And then you have potentially the most exciting start to an F1 race that we could have had this season. And you've suddenly got Eduardo Freitas in his first or second race in charge as a as a race director, because we have now two race directors as well, who's in a situation that he's not prepared for. I mean, you and you touched on it. They were talking on the commentary about, oh, wouldn't it be better if we had Michael Massey back? I never thought we'd hear that this season, particularly this early after how last year finished. But the, but the thing is, is, it wasn't just the race start as well. If, we, if we're going to go in a bit, you know... When Schumacher crashed, you had a car in two bits, debris everywhere, a barrier that clearly needed to be repositioned. They went to a VSC, a mm. virtual safety car. It was never virtual safety car conditions. It at least needed a safety car to bunch the field up. 
and most probably needed a red flag to get the barriers sorted. But the fact that they threw a virtual safety car where, let's face it, the drivers could be a little bit liberal with where they slow down as long as they hit a delta, it, it baffled me. It really, really did baffle me. And I was a bit surprised because Eduardo Freitas is a massively experienced race director. Uh, from the World Endurance Championship, he's done uh, touring cars as well, but you know, he, he presides over the Le Mans 24 hours. Probably the hardest race in the world to be a race director for. And and then something like this happens under his watch. I was really surprised, and you know, with, with what's coming out about potential arguments, maybe that sort of takes the onus away from him and more as a collective, I guess. But really, really baffled by some of the things that happened. Talking of baffling. Ian, Ferrari's decision-making. That was pretty baffling as well this weekend. The segues are just strong this week, by the way. Oh. The segues are very strong. Where do we start with that? You start 1-2 in Monaco, and you don't win the race. I mean, that is just staggering beyond belief, it's got to be said. I'm bordering on using the word incompetence in some <laughs> respects, because... Uh, it's the one race that you should win from that position. You have both drivers on the front row. How on earth can you cock up from there? And they contrive to do it. But this is Ferrari. Um, we've seen it happen before in the past, not just on the odd occasion. This appears to be now a regular occurrence for them. Their decision-making, their strategy planning, just... They just seem to become a little bit overwhelmed on that pit wall in some in some respects. And when we look at what Mercedes can do in comparison, and when we look especially at what Red Bull can do mm. in contrast, they appear to be the master planners. That those guys on their pit wall and um, back at uh, back at their base um, from the virtual control room back at Milton Keynes, overseeing what's going on. They're geniuses, those guys, and they've made fantastic calls. Uh, Ferrari, they've got to get their act together on this because if they don't, they are going to lose both world championships. And that was a clear indicator on Sunday that something somewhere has to change within their organisation. Otherwise, it's going to be Red Bull for the Drivers' Championship and obviously we're going to get on to Max and Checo, I'm sure, as well, because that's building up now to be an intriguing battle. And it's going to be Red Bull for the Constructors' Championship, despite the breathtaking start that Ferrari made this year with Charles Leclerc. They've got to sort it out, and fast. Otherwise, they're going to lose it. This isn't a new thing for Ferrari, though. It, it's been going on for years. 2017, 2018, when Seb had, fair enough, an outside chance, but still a chance at beating Lewis to the Drivers' Championship. And Ferrari so often made, as Ian put it, cock-ups um, with their strategy. In Monaco, and I'm going to plug my my feature that I wrote yesterday. Or, um, Shameless. Ferrari, Ferrari forgot rule one in Monaco. They really did. You never give away track position. Monaco, you let the cars behind you make the decision first. Red Bull pitting first. They were never, ever going to catch Ferrari up and pass them if Ferrari just waited for Red Bull to pit first. Red Bull knew that. So they, they just played the game and waited for Ferrari to make the mistake. And that appears to be what you can do with Ferrari. You can just wait for them to make a mistake. And I mean, 
as I, as I said in that piece, I mean, the, the trophy for Checo Perez should have come gift-wrapped with the tag saying, with love, Ferrari. I mean, it was... Blimey, Sam, why don't you just read out your entire I'm feature not, Yeah, yesterday. if you want to see the rest of the feature, please go to gpfans.com. Um, but yeah, no, um, it, that was an absolute shambles from Ferrari. And Ian's right, they're going to lose this championship if they don't sort it out. Because how do you lose... Well, we've seen how you lose it, but how do you lose a victory from a 1-2? At least one of those cars should have been on the top step of the podium. And it's unforgivable that they weren't. And there's one big point of that strategy sort of mixture that really gave away the sort of panic that was on the pit wall. And I think panic's an appropriate word because we heard uh, the team radio of Carlos Sainz saying, look, I want to stay out on the extreme wet until it's time for slicks. Now, Charles Leclerc mentioned at the end of the race that they had also agreed that they were going to stay out on the extreme wet until it was time for slicks. But yet we saw Charles Leclerc come in for intermediate. So we already gave the, the lead away in that scenario anyway, because I think Perez had already jumped him uh, through the laps he'd done on the inters. So that was the first mistake, but then the fact that they moved first onto the intermediate, having gone against what they'd agreed, and the home favourite, and their lead driver in the championship, and decided to agree with the person who's made the mistakes in the championship so far, and isn't from Monaco, and didn't get pole, and wasn't leading by three or four seconds makes no sense to me, to Ian, to Sam, to anyone. And I don't think they thought it through. I, I can't believe that they sat on the pit wall and decided that that was what they were going to do. I think there was just a bit of panic set in. And I think exactly the same thing happened then when they double sat, stacked for slicks. And we know that slicks are going to be cold on the way out. You know you're going to lose time. And then they had traffic. It was all a snowball effect and it all went miserably wrong. Um, and, and to be fair, Verstappen was not far away from jumping uh, Sainz as well. So it could have been even worse. Um, yeah, worrying. Really worrying if that's what it's going to come to. Well, Ian yeah. described Red Bull as geniuses for their strategy. Originally, they weren't being geniuses with Max. They were just going, well, we'll accept we're going to lose points to Charles here. We'll just copy exactly what he does and we'll minimise that loss. That's how you win a championship. That's... That's just sensible, going sort of, right, we're, we're not going to overtake him on track here. Chances of getting him in the pits are minimal, so, you know, we'll just follow him. But then Ferrari handed it on on a platter, and we could rant all day about Ferrari on this one, just like we could rant about the FIA all day, to be honest. But um, we're going to have to move on, aren't we? Well, I mean, you've got Charles Leclerc, who's probably ranting more than anybody else on the... I mean, you heard it on the team radio during the race, and poor Carlos Sainz and the other Ferrari is just watching those three other cars shift around him throughout the race and he's still coming out and finishing second and so well yeah you know okay fine um but look Sergio Perez was one of the best drivers of the weekend I mean he was putting pace up with the Ferraris for the whole of Friday Saturday and eventually gets the race victory on Sunday is it kind of nice, Ian, to have seen perhaps somebody that isn't Max Verstappen on the top step of the podium, but wearing Red Bull? And everybody seems to love Checo and also get a reward for what was an incredible race. And the only mess up he made this weekend was revealing too early that he'd signed this new two-year deal with Red Bull. 
well, he did crash at the end of qualifying uh, as touché, well. So touché, touché, touché. Yeah, right. Maybe two mess-ups, <laughs> but uh, uh, Checo is one of the nicest guys you could possibly wish to meet, to be honest. Um, I like him. Uh, I'm a big fan of his, I've got to say. And um, I'm really pleased with what he's doing at Red Bull. More so for the fact that it's now a pleasure to see somebody finally challenging Max within that team. We've seen it. Uh, he's had his teammates, uh, Max, with Pierre initially, then Alex, and he wiped the floor with both of them, effectively. He's, Max, over the years, has made Red Bull his team. Certainly, he was the number one driver last season. Bless you, Ollie. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he's just putting in the kind of performance that you kind of suspected was always there with Checo. Um, we've always known he's had that talent. He's just waiting for that car to come to him. Last year, we saw the car wasn't to his strengths. And that's why Max very quickly got on top of things and was able to pretty much use Checo as his number two. And at the end of the season, we, you know, even Max described Checo as a legend for the performance that uh, he gave in Abu Dhabi in holding Lewis up there. So he now knows, Max, that he's not only got the Ferraris to battle with this season, he now also has a teammate to battle with. And that dynamic is going to be fantastic. It's already starting to bubble up when you look at the comments that Jos Verstappen made in his column after the race, uh, suggesting that Red Bull were wrong to prioritise Checo over Max. And you just think, uh-oh, this is Jos going hammering on Helmut's door, hammering on Christian's door, saying, what are you doing? Sorry, Red Bull, you now have the best dilemma you could possibly have on your hands when it comes to a title battle. You're not only challenging the Ferraris in Sainz and Leclerc, you now have also got an intra-team battle starting to bubble up as well, because that was a great performance from Checo around Monaco, and hopefully more to come. Hopefully he can continue to challenge Max because that's what we really want to see as well. Uh, we've lost the Mercedes this year. That's not happening. So if we want something else to really talk about and get our juice, F1 juices flowing, then it could be this intra-team battle at uh, Red Bull that's starting to bubble up nicely. I mean, it, also, I mean, Ewan pointed this out to me across the weekend, um, but go back to Saudi Arabia and a poorly timed safety car. Had it not been for that, Checo would actually be leading this championship. Um, so, for all of Max's prowess this weekend, I think Sergio was probably the second best driver to Charles this weekend. He just had a better team behind him. Um, but also, we're saying that Red Bull have got this issue. Ferrari have got this as well, because they've got this result with Carlos outscoring Charles significantly it's even that up as well so we've got two teams with two drivers all of which could be in with a shout of the championship so team orders as much as they were applied by Red Bull in Spain I don't think we're going to hear much about them for at least the next five six races unless Max or Charles one of the drivers goes on an absolutely incredible run um, and their teammates barely score a point I, this could be touch wood an even better title fight than we had last year what's really interesting is that Max and Sergio clearly get on very well 
Uh, if you see any of the sort of the activation videos that they do over social media, they're always laughing and making jokes with each other. They said in the press conference, they sort of were joking that they were in love with each other. Um, how long will that stay mm-hmm. if they're fighting in the championship? Because they always say, don't they? Yeah, yeah, we, we'll be fine. We're good mates. Lewis Hamilton, Nico Rosberg, childhood, childhood best friends. They were in the same karting team. They came up to the ranks together. And, uh, and yeah, that one ended really, really nicely and well, didn't it? So uh, let's see how long this goes out. The, I don't think Checo is the type of person that you could fall out with, to be completely honest. But we've seen F1 do stranger things to people. Yeah, I think Max is definitely the kind of person that anybody could fall out with because we've seen in his aggressive driving nature how much he wants to win. And surely that's going to be potentially the issue more than anything else. I mean, Christian Horner, Ian, you touched on this as a you know a nice scenario for Red Bull. They've got two drivers that can potentially win a world title. But is there a part of Christian Horner and that Red Bull team that you think is actually going, oh, no, because they know that this can potentially be a problem because Checo and Max can take points off each other at this point. The, the, the great team unit that they've got and the chemistry can fall apart in just a matter of races or one incident with them battling to go into... You know, first at turn one of the next Grand Prix. I actually asked Christian the question on, on Sunday in his post-race media session. I said to him, this is a nice headache for you to have now, isn't it? And he kind of gave me a wry smile uh, before he answered the question. And of course, he played, knowing Christian, he played the political game, of course. And he said, of course, it's the kind of dilemma any team principal would like to have. But of course, on the other hand, it's really the kind of dilemma no team principal wants because they know that having an intra-team battle and trying to work out the best possible strategies for, for either driver, trying to give both drivers the car that they want, it just becomes tremendously difficult. And in this case as well, unlike Mercedes when they dominated and it was just Lewis and Nico, at least we have another team in this fight in Ferrari. So it is a headache for him, the fact that he's got Max and Checo now definitely just 15 points apart, battling one another for this title. But it is the additional headache as well that he's also got to battle Ferrari and work out what their tactics are going to be on any given Sunday. And you've got to think that with Mercedes slowly creeping into the game, we know they've got the car and we know that once they get it right, and they will get it right at some point this season, they are going to be in that fight at some point certainly battling for the front row in qualifying and on occasion you can assume battling for the wins we're going to have three cars three teams sorry six cars and three teams you would suspect going for qualifying going for victories so as sam said it could potentially bubble up to me one of the most exciting f1 seasons that we have seen for a long while we've certainly got that at the start now we're just getting these little bits coming into play and uh, fingers crossed that that's the case because that's at the end of the day what we really want to see we don't want somebody running away with it as we saw during the Mercedes era we want it going all the way to the season another repeat of last year please thank you very much very quickly on Verstappen as well you can't imagine he's going to be happy if he does get beaten by his teammate bearing in mind Mm -hmm. he's on the contract till 2028 that's another thing that Christian Orner especially is going to have to get a hold on is just that's that's where man management comes in isn't it because you don't want to make the guy you've tied down for that long on such a big contract unhappy 
very quickly, let's just quickly go around because you've touched on Mercedes and I do want to touch on them because George Russell keeps on outperforming Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton, Nico Rosberg described as, uh, I think he's looking like he's lost his way at this point. The number of stories that aren't about on-track action and all of the on-track action stories are about George Russell continually getting these top five finishes this season. He's been so impressive, particularly compared to his teammate Russell this season so far. The Mercedes have a similar problem in that their main guy is suddenly perhaps not so much their main guy anymore in Lewis Hamilton. Um, I don't particularly think so, because if you look at each of Lewis's races, you can pinpoint where he's had something go against him, or there's been luck that's not fallen his way. I mean, in Monaco, obviously, he was collided into by... Esteban Ocon, then he got held up by Fernando Alonso, going at probably just above the speed limit around the streets. Easily, um, easily. <laughs> but I mean, the speed cameras wouldn't have even been flashing for him. But I mean, Lewis has had bad luck at so many races this year. I don't think he's as bad. I don't think he's gone suddenly turned to be this bad driver that the point standings might have you believe he has. Um, George has barely had an ounce of bad luck this year. And when he has, he's been able to bounce back from it. So, yeah, maybe momentum is with George. But I would never write Lewis off. I mean, I would write him off of the championship for this year. Lewis and Mercedes have both done that already. But I wouldn't write him off of being able to pull this back in the intra-team battle with George. I agree, I agree. Uh, to be completely honest, I think a lot of it at the moment is less Russell against Hamilton and it's more Russell than Hamilton against the car. Because um, <laughs> the the more they work together and help themselves, the quicker they'll be up the top and then they can start fighting between each other to see uh, who's better than who. Um, but yeah, at the, at the moment, it's all about what feedback they can give the engineers to take back to Brackley with. They'll be on the phone I'm sure to people like Anthony Davidson in the simulator saying try this out try this out try this out um, set up wise across the weekend um, and then it really just comes down to whether the track suits their car because we could see that the steps they made in Barcelona it was a completely different issue in Monaco with the circuit layout and the characteristics so wouldn't be too worried if I was them um, but it is it's more teamwork at the moment and we can start figuring out who is who's ahead of who because I think they're trying different things on different cars at the moment as well I think they're yeah. two different setups so I don't think it's that easy yeah they came out smiling in Barcelona if you remember they were, you know that, that Friday they were happy as Larry the pair of them you know Lewis had got this massive smile on their face it was almost like yes we've fixed it we're in back in the game and of course as Ewan's just pointed out they're completely different car characteristics circuit characteristics that completely went against the W13 around Monaco so, as I mentioned at the start of this uh, conversation, they know they have a decent car now. It's now about just trying to make sure it can work at pretty much all circuits and not just here and there. And once they can sort that out, and you've got to think that they are making these, these right steps, taking these right steps, then, as I say, they are going to be in this fight. Maybe not in the title fight. But certainly they are going to be in that fight more often than not at the front of the grid alongside Ferrari and Red Bull. And as we said at the start of the year, sorry, Ollie, as we said at the start of the year, you know, the the people who work at Mercedes who have been champions for so many years now, since twenty fourteen, you know, 
they're not stupid people they are some of the cleverest people on the planet they would not have made this car with this clever no side pod thingy if there wasn't a benefit down the line so everyone knows there's a fast car in it as in rightly said it's just unlocking it they're smart enough not to wear a t-shirt like that you and that's for sure let's leave it there for this week on the gp fan stewards room podcast we'll be back after azerbaijan that's taking place on the weekend that features the 10th of june and gentlemen thank you so much for your time today in park sam hall and you and gail you can get onto gpfans.com to read all of their musings and on gp fans global on social media twitter instagram tiktok all of that good stuff and subscribe down below as well on the youtube channel to stick with us throughout the f1 2022 season until next time take care